excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, this is going to be quite a different kind of sermon than normally. I, I love to uh, just get a text and dig deep into that uh, a verse, and uh, this morning we're going to do something that we have done in the past, just a little different light, is we're going to look at one verse here in this chapter, and then look at the biblical commentary, other passages in the Bible that will help us to see exactly how God means for you and I to understand this verse. And then additionally, and what makes the sermon a little different this morning, is we've had some tremendously uh, unusual, great, incredible blessings uh, and... Uh, lots and lots of other things attached to that happened to our church this week, and I, I want to try to explain those things. I, it's uh, For those that were here Thursday night, uh, and uh, even in Sunday school, it's been somewhat of a whirlwind of events trying to uh, put things together, and there's just so much we don't know yet, but let's uh, I, I try to pray for me as I uh, try to preach this morning that we'll be able to accomplish uh, all of those things, and yet have an application so that we can learn what God wants us to do. That's the bottom line. That's why the Bible is here, is to give us the direction that, that God would have for our lives. And so, we start in Philippians 1, and just the verse I want to look at is verse 6. Paul is writing the Philippians here, and one of the most intimate and and uh, close letters that he wrote, he didn't have a lot of problems to address that he did with some of the other churches that he wrote to. And he says in verse 6, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ." Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul giving comfort to this church. If you'll remember, this church was started in a very dark time. Paul and Silas had been uh, falsely accused, uh, beaten, thrown into the uh, Philippian prison, and God set them free in the middle of the night. And uh, the thing I love about that story, and we don't have time to go there with the whole thing, is how else would God reach the family of the Philippian jailer except to have Paul and Silas put right there in the prison where he would be brought face to face with the miracle working power of Almighty God. Not one prisoner escaped. And that was the thing that brought this man. He, he asked Paul. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what he's asking? What must I do to have in me what you have in you? And the answer is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it takes a theologian to complicate things. It takes somebody to, uh, uh, as, as we covered last week, human reasoning destroys 
and perverts so much simple truth that is in the Bible. You don't have to understand it. You do have to believe it. That's a choice. And the one I always go back to, I like to go back to, I'm not trying to be insulting here, but how big would God actually be if you could comprehend Him? Not very big. Not as big as you are. Because you'd be able to understand Him. That's why He's bigger. Amen? That's why there are things in this book that we don't understand. And, and, and as your pastor today, I stand before you, and there's, there's a lot of things with the events of this week that I don't understand yet. And there's no way anybody understands, and we, we're going to have to go forward. And that's why we have the engineer. And just to make a long story short, um, it was uh, Monday or Tuesday, a work crew from the building department showed up at the Union Baptist Church there in Brooklyn. That's the building Brother Newberger's been talking about for uh, ever since before he went to Brooklyn. In fact, he tried to see if he could get meeting space there when, when he first started. And, and that did not work out. And uh, the building departments closed the building down because of decay and unsafe conditions in the property. And, and the man that controlled the property calls me up and says, we need to do something. And I said, uh, are, are you willing to let us take charge? And his main concern was that we would try to take the building and sell it and make money. Uh, that's what normally happens. Uh, let me tell you, I'm not just trying to slam other Baptist organizations, but uh, that's what the conservative Baptist organization has made a history of doing all over this country, is taking buildings out from under churches, selling them, and leaving the congregation and the money. It's happened. I can give you names and places. It's a terrifying thing. We're not interested in making money. What I want you to pray about is that we can see a church in this building. And we want Brother Newberger to be the pastor of that church. But there's a lot that has to happen between now and then. And I can't, I'll, I'll just give you the, uh, uh, I talked to uh, Walter. He was here Thursday night. I said, Walter, we've got to have business. We've got to have paperwork for these people. And so he came to church and we had six, um, five members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church transfer their membership to the Union Baptist Church. We've breathed life. And, and those that I've asked, uh, Miss Kelly was one obvious because it's got to be unrelated adults. Uh, and so we asked Miss Kelly to join and then five other people. If you'd just stand so everybody could get a look at you here. And uh, we've got Brother George, Brother Doug, Brother Alvin. Uh, and Brother Uichi, and then Miss Kelly. And, and you have to have six unrelated adults to make a quorum for a corporation. And so we fulfilled that with the addition of uh, Walter Granowski, who has been the acting trustee. Uh, then we had uh, those members vote uh, Brother Newberger and I in as chairman of the board of trustees and assistant trustee, uh, Brother Newberger, assistant pastor and trustee, and so now we have what we call legal standing. And uh, we just blew, uh, 
put some life into the organization of the church. And now we've got to see God do the miracles. The first thing we need is an engineer to go through the building. Uh, we're hoping to have that lined up within the next 10 days. And uh, the church open door is going to pay for that. Uh, we took care of that in Sunday school at a very short business meeting there. Uh, we hope to raise that money from other churches and, and pay back. But that's, that's where we're going. We have to get an evaluation of the structure, whether it's deteriorated to the point that it cannot be saved or if it can be saved, what needs to be done. We've got 30 days to line this out to the building department and come up with a plan how we're going to do that. You say, what's the plan? We have no way of knowing where we're going until the engineer gets through the building. So that's what you've got to pray for first. Amen? Now, I just want to lay out something here. The, the Bible, uh, as Paul is telling the Philippians, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we understand the Bible and one of the ways that we learn from the Bible is uh, the book of Corinthians tells us that all of these stories that make up our Old Testament are ensamples or examples for us to teach us how God works. That's why at 10.30 we have our Through the Bible time. Uh, and I would encourage every person to be here. It is not uh, a, uh, a optional service. You, you need to know your Bible. Now, this morning we covered three very famous stories. Everybody knows. But in the, uh, in the time it takes us to go the whole way through the Bible, we cover a lot of ground that nobody else covers. We cover every major story in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation because you need to know and understand your Bible. God's trying to teach us some things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull some examples uh, from the Old Testament and, and we can see how this verse was lived out in their lives. And of course, uh, I couldn't tell you how many examples are in the Bible. They go from all the way from the beginning to the end. I pulled out three that everybody would know at least a little something about. Moses, David, and Nehemiah. Uh, Moses, because he stood against the forces of the world, the strongest nation in the world at that time was Egypt. David, I just love the idea of David and Goliath, don't you? And, and I'm glad I'm on David's side. How about you? Uh, wouldn't want to be on Goliath's side. And Nehemiah, because he was rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And uh, what we need to understand is that these individuals that God used for these great things did not go looking for greatness. You know, if you want to know one of the problems that we have with American history and our society today is we have people who will tell you how great they are. I don't mean to be hypercritical, but our mayor is laughed at all over this country. Every time he opens his mouth and tells people all the great things he's done. And, and I know because I'm traveling, people are laughing and say, How oh, you like that new mayor? I said, he hadn't burned a place down yet. We're, we're thankful for that. 
Um, and he's not doing what some of the other people would have done who got in. It could be worse. But everybody's looking to be great. We had a president whose aides said on nine, a week after 9-11, we wish this would have happened during Bill Clinton's presidency so he could be great like George Bush. I don't comprehend that kind of thinking. In fact, if somebody had just told me that, I wouldn't have believed him. But I heard it on the radio with my own two ears, and I'm sitting there going, no. Uh, I wish I had been listening on TuneIn so I could back it up and listen to it again and make sure. But, I, I mean, and, and then I heard it uh, 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 picked up by different people. How could someone say this? It's because we have people that are looking to their own greatness. They, they want a legacy. Could I ask you a question? How could you have a greater legacy than Moses? Where did God find Moses? How many of you are familiar with your Bible? The backside of the desert. That's what your Bible says. It doesn't say in the desert. It says the backside of the desert. Why was Moses on the backside of the desert? Because he was raised in Egypt. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And he attempted to do the very thing that we just talked about. He sought to lead his people out of Egypt. He said, that's why I'm here. I'm in Pharaoh's house. And how many of you know how successful he was in that first attempt? The only thing he did was commit murder. That's, that's not a very good start, is it? And so he was on the backside of the desert, hiding from the world, hiding from God, hiding from himself. You know what? God knew right where he was. And God appeared to him in a burning bush. You know, God knows what will get your attention. And he got Moses' attention. Moses was not looking for greatness. He had given up on that 40 years before when he went into the wilderness. Moses' life, in a sentence, the first 40 years thinking he was somebody, the second 40 years learning he was nobody, and the last 40 years watching God do incredible things through a nobody. Amen? And that's where Moses started. How about David? How did he get to the valley of Elah to face Goliath the giant? How many of you remember the story? Daddy sent him down with a present for the officer and some corn for his brothers so that they wouldn't starve. They'd been going out every day, marching to the battle, only to hear Goliath's challenge and turn around like a bunch of little scared girly men and go home again. Uh, they had been practicing this. They, they had it down to a routine. The only difference was that day David heard the giant's challenge. Was David looking to become great? That's what his oldest brother accused him of. But the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He was not looking for his greatness. But he didn't stand for the insults leveled at God. 
Unfortunately, well, fortunately, that meant facing the giant, didn't it? You see, the first thing I want you to understand is you don't go looking for things. And I love Nehemiah's story. And take time to read the book if you're not familiar with it. But Nehemiah spent four months weeping and praying for the destruction that was still there in the city of Judah. This was not seven at the end of 70 years. This was more likely double that time period, about 150 years after Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem. Seventy years, Zerubbabel and, and uh, Jehoshaphat, the high priest, had gone back into the city, rebuilt the temple, but they hadn't even cleaned the debris out of the city streets. They hadn't even put up the gates and the walls. The fire was still there and evident. The destruction was all in the city. It was a, it was a horrible place to live. It was like living in a bombed out city after the end of a war. The only problem was that war was 150 years before. And Nehemiah wept for four months. And finally, he couldn't hide it from the king anymore. And the king said, what's wrong? And Nehemiah put his life on the line and said, King, here's the burden of my heart. And the king says, well, what do you want to do about it? All of a sudden, Nehemiah found himself in charge of something that he never hoped in his wildest dreams that he could do. You ever... Wonder why God does things the way He does. He does it with this in mind, and this is what's illustrated. You see, that's why going back to our verse in Philippians, it says, He which hath begun. The work does not originate with you. It does not originate with me. Uh, I've often had people ask, uh, how, how old is your church? Well, we've been in a story about 23 years. Oh, new church. Well, by many standards, yes. But the Baptist church is not a new thing. Someone says, oh, yes, yes. We, we, we've read the history books. The Baptists started in England uh, in the early 1600s. Well, that's where the name came into use. Uh, Baptist. You see, before that, it used to be this thing called Anabaptist. Now, I want you to understand, not all Anabaptists were believers in the Bible. But all believers in the Bible were classified historically as Anabaptist. Does that, are, are we together there? And, and so, uh, we predate the Reformation about 1400 or so years uh, because you, you study the people that history calls heretics. And you'll find out that they had some pretty crazy views. Do you know that in 300, when Constantine organized the church under himself in the, and the shelter of the Roman government, that there were some people that objected to that because they said this book ought to be the final authority and not the emperor? Could you imagine somebody so audacious? After all the persecution was promised to be over, all you had to do... It was just a different church and a different emperor, but it was the same government that was in charge of it. 
And these people were ostracized. And it wasn't just a few years before they began to be hunted and chased out and, and refused uh, admission to the societies and things. And that's what makes history a little confusing is in the very earliest days, there were some actual good churches involved in this thing. But once the emperor took over, Jesus wasn't in charge anymore. And they had to go find another place to meet. And so they began to be persecuted. And began to be called crazy names. Like Monetist and Donatist. You know why? Because there was a guy named Monetist. He was a preacher. And if you read most history books, they'll tell you what a wacko he was. But then if you read what he wrote about his own thing, he said the Bible is the final authority of God's Word. And we don't accept any man. And we believe in the authority of the local church and no government should come in. You know, they think separation of church and state was invented by Thomas Jefferson, but that, that is such a joke. That came from the Bible. God's people have always believed that. It's just most of the time they were too busy hiding from the state or other churches to be able to tell everybody about it, but history bears us out. But let's not digress too far. The point I'm trying to bring up is the challenges that each of these men faced. Well, let me finish here first. That Jesus is the beginner of his work. And by the way, it is a good work. That's why when we deal with our missions, we invest in church planning. We have a few people that are in helps ministries that help church planning, but we put the main part of our money in starting churches. Why? Because that's the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What's the next thing? Baptizing them. Uh, You can't baptize without a church. And, And by the way, if you're baptizing the Bible way, ought it not be a church that believes the Bible the Bible way? Am I in the right church this morning? Could we say amen to that? Do you believe that? I mean, we make the least deal about baptism as far because it has nothing to do with your salvation. But we'd like it done at least right. The authority is in this book. Amen? And a church constituted through this book is the only place where you can get baptized according to the Bible. You have to have both. It's not in a name. It's in what you believe and how you live. And so he that hath begun a good work in you, which hath begun a good work, it says will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we could talk about challenges, but let's go back to our three guys. What was the challenge that Moses faced? The children of Israel were enslaved by the most powerful nation on the face of the earth that time, Egypt. They had all of their armies there. They had the strongest economy, military might. If you wanted chariot horses anywhere in the world, even down to Solomon's day, 
Where did the Hittites? The Hittites lived up in Syria, the whole way up into modern Turkey. Where did they get their horses? In Solomon's day, Solomon went to Egypt, got them from Pharaoh, and then sold them to the Hittites. He, he had just become powerful enough all those years later to uh, inter- introduce himself, make himself the middleman in the horse trade, but it had been going on for centuries like that. Pharaoh had control of everything. How in the world was one simple shepherd man with a rod going to make Pharaoh do anything? In fact, when Pharaoh said, who are you? He said, I'm a servant of the God of the Hebrews. Well, who's he? I am that I am. That's all Moses had to say. You know, that was very cryptic. Pharaoh didn't understand that. He didn't want to understand that. Pharaoh thought he was God. And you follow the plagues, and each one of those plagues destroyed a god or something that was worshipped by the Egyptians. Well, how about David? Now, we understand that David's scope and, and, and sequence was much smaller than that of Moses's, but, you know, Pharaoh wasn't armed with a sword and, a, and an entire army behind him trying to kill Moses all by himself. I mean, David, David had a pretty tough situation there. Nine foot six. One of these days I'm going to find somebody who does the math. I'd like to get a, an approximate weight. Uh, I mean, don't you, don't you think Goliath would have looked like one of those uh, uh, fake TV wrestlers guys? Uh, uh, I, I'm sure that he would have been something along those lines, rather as grotesque as he possibly could have been. Because the only thing Goliath knew how to do was kill people. And here's David. In fact, when David comes, what's Goliath do? Who do you think I am that you send little boys? Well, that wasn't just any little boy. You see, he wasn't looking for greatness. And he had a challenge that was before him that was greater than even King Saul, who was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel, was afraid to take. This was beyond the scope And how about Nehemiah? I mean, the city of Jerusalem had laid waste 150 years and it was going to be him to put it all back together again. Does that make any sense to anybody in here? Well, it did to God. You see, God began that work. Moses, it was 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody. David, it was eight or nine years out in the field watching the sheep. Learning how to use that slingshot. Learning how, and it wasn't a slingshot, it was a sling. Learning how to use his staff. Learning how to protect the sheep. Getting a heart that was more concerned over the things it ought to be concerned about than it was over him and who people thought he was. Nehemiah was four months of weeping himself to sleep every night over a broken heart for his people. That was the work that God began. The scope of that work was far greater than anyone could possibly plan or hope or 
even wish upon their enemy. But they found themselves there. And you know what? The next point I want to make is that God's provision, that's the miracles, all started with something that they already had. Do you remember what God said to Moses? He said, what is that in thine hand? Moses looked and said, a rod. Now, you have to understand something. Sheep, go back to Joseph, was an abomination to the Egyptians. Moses was culturally an Egyptian. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. He was used to ruling and telling people what to do. He had to have a staff to take care of the shepherd. That was not something Moses was proud of. It was... If if you want to put it in modern, it was a dunce cap as far as Moses was concerned. This was a reminder that he had been demoted from the palace of, of the most powerful man and country in the world to taking care of the lousy, accursed sheep. And God said, I'll, I'll use that rod. And you know, it says Moses took his rod, and then later it says the rod of God. You see, God took Moses' rod... Then, it divided the Red Sea. And then, it put the Red Sea back, right on top of Pharaoh's army. So, you actually believe it was the Red Sea? If you study, it was the Reed Sea. Uh, I like what one old-time preacher said about that. He was in a class, and they were teaching all this stuff, and he just got up started hollering, and, Hallelujah! And said, What is wrong with you? He said, How God drowned the entire army of Pharaoh in six inches of water! Wow, what a miracle! And uh, so, I mean, uh, the simple thing is, if you believe what they say, how in the world was Pharaoh's army drowned in six inches of water? That was a greater miracle than dividing the sea itself. I mean, people go nuts, don't they? You just need to think a little bit instead of listening to what you're told. God took Moses' rod. How about David? David knew how to use a sling. Don't try this at home. David's sling had two leather straps about six feet long with a little pocket in the middle. You read in the, in, in the uh, book of Proverbs, it talks about a fool binding a stone in a sling. And you know why? Because it's almost impossible to put a rock in a little pocket six foot away and keep it in the pocket while you're spinning it. But I'll promise you this, if you put a little string or something in there to hold the rock in place, the only person that's going to get hurt is you. Don't ask me how I know that, but it just works that way, okay? I hadn't read the verse first, all right? After I read it, ah, okay, I understand that one completely. David had spent his entire life protecting the sheep. He had to know how those things worked. He didn't take Saul's armor because he hadn't proved it. But he knew 
how to use a sling. By the way, a sling like that is a deadly weapon. People are still using them in the Middle East. Usually against Israeli soldiers, but you can still die from a stone, from a sling. Nehemiah? Nehemiah was probably the most unusual case of all. He was the king's cupbearer. He lived in the palace. He was a counselor to the Persian king. How much more could he be prepared for what he had to do than that? But God took his position, and that's what he says in the end of the chapter. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. If you understood that, that would be like being uh, a secretary of a cabinet in, in our modern administration. I mean, direct access to the president every day, uh, personal communication. And God took Nehemiah's position and used it. Now, let's explain this a little bit. Moses had to listen to exactly what God said to do with that rod for that to work. God said, throw it down. It became a snake. God said, grab it by the tail. Now, if you know anything about snakes, there's one place you don't ever grab a snake. Because when you grab them by the tail, the head is going to be doing things. And none of it's going to be very nice. Uh, And you're going to be the object of attack. But when he listened to God and grabbed that snake by the tail, became a rod again. When God said, stretch out your rod, the river of the Nile River became blood. When God said, hold out your rod over the Red Sea, it divided. When he said, take it down, the Red Sea came back and washed out Pharaoh's army. Moses had to obey God and listen to him to use that. David had to have practiced and practiced, but I'll tell you what. So I've heard this, Goliath had four brothers, so David got five stones. Uh, Could I just give you a little simpler understanding of that? How many stones could a shepherd carry in a little pouch on his waist and not be weighed down? How many opportunities would David have to throw stones at this giant as he was running to him with a spear and a sword? I'd say five a magazine with five shots in it was all he had. And so he picked out the five best that he could. He knew that that's all he would have. He only needed one because, you see, as we get involved in this thing, we'll find out that the hand of God was what made each one of them work, wasn't it? Now, when Nehemiah sat down before the king, the king says, what do you request? How long is it going to take? How many of you would have any idea how long it would take to rebuild a city wall? How much material it would be? Nehemiah had it all figured out because he set the king a time and he made requests for the things that he needed. Nehemiah wasn't just sitting around going, please Lord, bless us, bless us. He was preparing. And God used all of that. You see... He started out with what they had. But each one of them had to use what they had 
according to God's word and direction to get the thing done. And when it was all said and done, who got the glory? We still talk about Moses giving the Ten Commandments. We still have people running out there, I'm getting to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. Can we do this one more time? Remember this. Anybody says that, ask them what they are. I've never met one person trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments could even tell me what they were. Now, I would think if you're trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, you better figure out what they are. Amen? Uh, You might get lost along the way. We still talk about Moses. In fact, there is not one lawyer in the United States that ever goes through law school that doesn't study Moses' prayer to God. At least that's the way it used to be. Because it was one of the greatest entreaties in all of history that preserved an entire nation because of the prayer of one man. And they, they used that, to, at least used to use that to help lawyers understand how to plead a case. Of course, how could you plead a case before anyone greater than God himself? Anytime something big goes down before somebody little, another David and Goliath story. Now, we know that David was skilled, and we know that his weapon was deadly. But don't you just have to believe that there was maybe a little angel flying along behind that rock, making sure that it just adjusting its flight? I mean, we have laser-guided weapons. I, I, I just have to believe, I believe in my heart, that there was an angel-guided rock right there. Uh, made sure it found its spot, and when it got there, it just went... Made sure it went in enough and Goliath went down. I, I, because it wasn't David. It was God. Amen. Nehemiah, they had the wall up in 52 days. Not even the heathen could believe it. They were so mad. Because something good was happening to God's people in Jerusalem. Now, in my mind, that that gives us three incredible examples of he which hath begun a good work in you. God started it. It was a good work. And he performed it until it was complete. And only God could get the credit for it. So what are we doing? Well, a little over 23 years ago, I moved to Astoria and prayed that God would start this church. About five years ago, the Newberger family came out here and served with us for a year. And then they went out and spent about two years raising their support. And then they came back and now they've been here for two years. We got a lot to see happen there. But the Lord's done some great things. But one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing in keeping everything separate is we want to protect North Brooklyn Baptist Church. And we want to protect Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Because again, we have no idea. We're trying to be as wise as we can in this thing. But I want to tell you, the Lord has laid everything just step by step. 
We haven't quite faced the giant yet. The first step was getting Walter actually to agree and to work with us and cooperate. He was there at the building department meeting. And that did a lot for us. Gave us a little continuity. He had been there. He was their contact person and he's going to serve with us here. In fact, he's going to be over... uh, Well, anyway, we'll just keep praying about this thing and, and, and everybody I've talked to has, I've talked to engineers and architects, I've talked to people that have supported us in the past and about the possibility of helping us in the future, and uh, people are excited about this thing. Uh, first thing Brother Copes told me, he says, you're going to be church planting meeting in Heartland. He said, that doesn't take a thought, does it? And I said, oh, but we're planning on being there, brother, we really are. And, uh, but... We, we need to get that engineer in the building first. And we need to come up with an understanding of what it's going to take to keep the building safe. No one wants to meet in an unsafe building. That's what I told the inspectors at the building department. We're, we're not here to tell you that you don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're, we're here to listen and, and get some instruction here so that we know what to do. And they said, we want you to get an engineer in there. And figure it out. So, that's what we're doing. Now, it just happened that my friend in Staten Island, it's helped us so many. The reason these walls are really nice is because Eddie planned everything you can't see. Uh, And that's why it's going to be there 25 years from now. uh, Or whatever the Lord gives us. And so, this same guy, he says, I've got my engineer online. I just got to make contact with him and get him over there. And uh, he's going to do it. The, the money we asked for is about any, somewhere between a half and a third of the normal price for that job. And so I want you to pray. we still got to get the guy in the building. And uh, it's got to be in a timely fashion. And so I need you to pray. But I, I'm claiming this verse as it was a comfort to the Philippian church that... God is the originator of this work, that he wants to see churches started. That's what we've been about. We have seen him establish this church. We want to see the Union Baptist Church saved, and eventually uh, North Brooklyn will join them and and actually just assume the leadership, and and, uh, that will be a wonderful thing. This church was started in 1847. You realize the first Baptist church in America was 1634. Less than 200 years, or 210 years actually. And so, uh, this is this is an historic. It used to be called the First Baptist Church of Long Island. That was before Brooklyn uh, was uh, even a city. Or, or um, it was a city, but it wasn't part of New York. It was its own city at that point. And so, uh, I want you to pray. We're going to look up the history of this thing. We might find some pretty interesting things. Uh, I did find a, a first edition copy of Thomas Armitage's History of the Baptist in the old preacher's desk. Uh, 1860, no, 1878, I think it was, or 1887, uh, somewhere around that. 
church, the building wasn't even 20 years old when they printed the book. And uh, so it, it's interesting. Does that mean anything? No, it's absolutely nothing. I also found a revised standard version Bible in there. Uh, we'll get rid of that when we get rid of all the other stuff. Um, but what we're interested in much more than the building is seeing an historic Baptist church. Because in 1862, that church believed exactly what we believe. There just weren't all the different kinds of Baptist uh, that we have today. And so, not only do we want to reclaim the history of the building and make the landmarks people happy and all of that, uh, we'd like to make the Lord happy and honor those people that gave all those years ago to serve the Lord there in Greenpoint. Now, here's what we need, and we're almost done. Application. What are we trying to do? Number one, we do have God's command to build churches and start churches. Amen? And we're trying to follow that. God is interested. God has brought the Newberger family to us. In fact, it was Brother Newberger that found the building in the first place. Took three years to get to where we are today, but we'll trust that that's God's time clock and not ours. Amen? Well, we have to have God's wisdom. I called one of the lawyers and I said, Can I just throw something at you and see if this is what I'm thinking? And he said, I said, what I want to know is I want to make sure that we're not doing something illegal. He says, you're not doing anything illegal. That's perfect. That's the way churches handle business. Do it. He said, more power to you. He said, I, I can't find, find anything wrong with that at all. I said, okay. I just want to make sure because we, we live in New York City. We got, I sue for you on license plates around here. And, uh, and so they said that and we went down and, and prayed that the building department would accept, accept us. They didn't even bat an eye. It was amazing. And, uh, okay, so you're the new pastor of the church. As of last night, yes. I mean, right up front, dates right there on the paper. And, and uh, I said, the emergency of closing the building. Got Walter here acting. He called us in. We're reorganizing the church so that we can address this. You know what? The chief of the department, forensic department, that's legal inspections, he says, well, we're glad somebody's going to take responsibility for this mess. I said, we're going to do as much as we possibly can. But here's what we need. We cannot lose, ignore what's going on in this building to save that one. Can we say amen to that? And so what that means is every one of us. We're not talking about money yet. We don't even, we have no clue. You just pray about that. Amen? But what we, what we need now is we need knowledge. And, and we need our people to step up to the plate and be the members that God wants them to be. Amen? I mean, this, this building has literally 
just been given to us. We've assumed the leadership of the church and the building belongs to the Union Baptist Church. Uh, I'm the pastor. Brother Newberger is working with me, serving on the board of trustees. William uh, Walter Gronowski there. And then the other five members of our church right here that have joined that church. And so... We need each member here to fulfill their requirements as a member of the body of Christ. Amen? I, I do not want to be less available. And I don't want anybody saying, Pastor, you're so busy I can't call you. I want you to understand that right now. But I do want you to understand one other thing. I want to make my assistant pastor more available. Because he's yours too. Amen? That's one of the ways we're going to carry this burden. It's amazing that God would actually bring someone in who's got the desires of our church. And, of course, he had good training. Amen? <laughs> For those who don't know, he's my son as well. But we're going to work together to see this thing happen. But we're not, so if you get thinking, oh, I'm too busy, don't, don't do that. It's going to take a miracle each step of the way. The greatest miracle so far was Walter Gronowski calling Brother Mike on the phone and then calling me on the phone and saying, I can't take this anymore. You guys are going to have to do something. Amen. That was a miracle. Yes. We've been arguing with him for three years asking him to let us help. He didn't think we wanted to help. Now he doesn't have a choice. And, and he's let us help. So many of these buildings have just been snatched up by greedy developers, taken over by the city and sold for a profit to New York City. This was built by God's people over a century ago. Over a century and a half ago. You do the math. Um, and we believe the Lord began a work there in 1847, which led to the building of their building in 1862. And we want a church there. That's our only goal. And it's going to take a miracle. Well, actually, it's going to take a whole slew of miracles. The guy at the building department laughed when I gave him my email. Miracle 35ST at MindSpring.com because that's what we call this one, the Miracle on 35th Street. Amen? And uh, we're just looking for a miracle on Noble Street, too. God's not uh, specific in His miracles. We want them all. Amen? But you know what? If Moses didn't take the rod and obey God, would God have done the miracles? No, God had that figured out before he went to Moses and used the rod. Amen? He already knew that David was willing to use the sling not to defend his own honor, but to avenge a man who blasphemed and threw dirt upon God's honor. God was willing to use a man named Nehemiah, arguably one of the most politically astute men of his day, in one of the highest positions that you could achieve, not being a Persian or a Mede, but a Jewish man in the palace of the king 
And God used him not only to rebuild the city, to rebuild the people. How many of you quoted Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was because Nehemiah went and obeyed the Lord. I'm going on record. I have no idea what miracles we even need at this point. But God's worked everyone to get us here. And so we're going to trust that we can follow the biblical pattern, but that means each one of us need to do our part. And so church, uh, I'm sorry for not explaining this whole thing, but I still don't know what to explain to you yet. It all happened this week. And I'll tell you, if we waited ten days before going down to the building department, that would have been the end of it. That's how close they are to closing this thing and taking over the property and everything. And so, the Lord brought us in. You talk about by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. I mean, that's, that's how close it was. And so... The Lord has brought us this far, and we're going to walk together, serve Him together, and see what He'll do. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. Lord, we, we need You. Every every step of the way, every, every decision. Lord, we cannot make mistakes. We can't afford to do it the first way, let alone have to redo it because we didn't do something right the first time. So, Lord, we place ourselves at your mercy as a church. And, Lord, we're asking that the Holy Spirit would have the freedom work in our lives as individuals, that we could live Ephesians chapter 4, that we could live 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 where it talks about the church being the body and the members working together and, and every joint supplying that which is needful to make everything work. And Lord, only you can change the hearts of people and we, we need hearts changed, Lord. Lord, I pray that every one of us would be willing, like Moses was in the back of the mountain, to give it all up and just follow God. To do like David did and put it all on the line to stand between the giant and the cowards. Lord, to, we need the wisdom that you gave Nehemiah to know what it would cost and what it would take and how long it would take to get the job done. Lord, we're thankful for each miracle that you've done to bring us here. Lord, we're praying that you give grace to wait for each miracle that's going to take to get us where we need to be. We ask you to work You've begun it. We want you to finish it, Lord. And we don't want to get in the way. This is our prayer. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.